0: Are you tapping into your potential? Are you then taking that potential and turning it into a purposeful and profitable online offering so you can impact more people, share your skills and expertise and make a dent in the world? And are you doing this while living a life that fills you with purpose, happiness, and opportunities for growth? This may all sound too good to be true, and I am telling you, it isn't. These are the big questions that I seek to answer on The Untap Show, a podcast for go-getting humans who know that more is possible for them in life, and who want to make real changes and live up to and beyond their human potential. In this weekly podcast, I share nuggets of wisdom on how to do this, combined with inspiring interviews with everyday humans who are doing this right now so that we can all learn from each other. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a best-selling author, podcaster, blogger, lifelong learner, triathlete and lover of handstands and who took her humble blog back in 2010 and somehow managed to turn it into a multiple six-figure business by creating different revenue streams based around my skills talents and knowledge and I know that this is possible for you too so every single week that's what you're going to hear here on this podcast to give you inspiration motivation strategy and tactics to do this for yourself and to lead a purpose-driven life so let's dive in to this week's show. Welcome, Derek. It is so awesome to have your good self on my podcast because I think we are very much kindred spirits in how we live life. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I love that you're still rocking your Hawaiian shirt. For those who are listening on audio, you won't be able to see it, but I'll put up proof on Instagram. which it's not technically Hawaiian, but Derek has always had a wonderful habit of wearing bright, engaging, exciting shirts because life is too short to be bland. Is that the sort so, of
1: motto? <laughs> this, is, this is actually a Bali shirt. We, we met in Bali and every time I go, there's this one little shop and I go and I, gosh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I buy shirts from him every time. And he tells me, he's like, I actually know all kinds of, you know, millionaires and billionaires that come here just to buy shirts for me. And it's like, wow, it's this is this cool little place. This shirt, I had a matching shirt made with my toddler so we can go around and, and twins it's really fun
0: (laughs) love it so yes we did meet in Bali and this was back in I think around 2012 or 13 and you were the only other podcaster that I had met in person outside of you know, the US at that point. And you literally were in a villa about 30 meters away from me. It was really, really crazy and very serendipitous. And we've stayed in touch since. You just stayed at my house in Portugal, been on many adventures around the world. So why don't you give the folks listening here on Untapped an overview in the life of how Derek Loudermilk got to be a sort of a full-time adventurer and build a whole business and platform around it.
1: Yeah. Well, so when we met and people were saying like, have you heard of Natalie Sisson? And then you you were just right next to her and I was super crazy. (laughs) Uh, When we met, that was a huge turning point in my life. Basically all the structures and all the trajectories that I had been on, you know, uh, I had just in the process of getting divorced, I had lost a house in a flood. I had dropped out of a PhD program in microbiology and I had this massive blood clot in my brain that could have killed me and so I was at this moment where it was actually I was basically just like floating off into space had no idea what I was doing it was a fairly fairly low moment lots of moments I'm imagining this one particular moment actually where I had food poisoning in Bali and you know all these other things had gone wrong and then I had food poisoning and I was like this is the worst possible thing I could imagine in life and from that moment it was you know, meeting people like you and our friend Nick Wood and just starting to piece together what the heck I was going to do with my life. And I looked at the things that I was interested, my values, and then all these childhood dreams that I wanted to be a great explorer and adventurer. And I basically just picked all the pieces that I thought would work, like I needed to be able to learn continuously. So I started podcasting, right? I wanted to meet all these people. I started writing books because I just wanted to to learn and then go around and teach it. And then, so partly it's like building in monetization, building in getting to live day-to-day how I wanted. And it's turned out, I could have never predicted that it would turn out this way. I have two kids now and we've lived in a dozen or so countries with them. And so I'm so and I'm splitting wife, my time. Who's amazing. And a and a wife, yes. A new wife.
0: Uh, <laughs> Just had to put that in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Family. Remarried. It's totally another one of those Bali serendipity. I met my wife in Bali. And
0: um Well, I had know, no idea actually that you I remember yeah. there was you were going through a divorce at the time and there were a few things, but when you actually sum it up on those points, that was a massive point in your life. I agree. And look at you now, it's like just sometimes all those things have to come together and happen all at once to make you wake up and just kind of go all right well it can't get any worse from here so what are all the opportunities in front of me and I love that you took that path of exactly what I talk about in the get paid to be you guide actually is looking at your childhood dreams what have you left behind what have you put on i <laughs> um, looking at the things that you value most and the priorities looking at the things that you love doing and not all things that you love doing I think should ever be monetized or turn into some sort of venture but sometimes the right combination of those with your skills and your talents and experience are a perfect fit. So um, I would love for you to sort of, yeah, share how you layered uh, from your podcasting. And then you've written a lot of books now. I mean, you're very prolific at content. I get told that I'm prolific at creating content, but you are super consistent and amazing at doing it. And I'd love to sort of learn the story of how you layered all those things to create revenue streams and, and actually earn an income from doing what you love.
1: Yeah, so I actually expected podcasting to be my get rich quick scheme. This was when Lewis Howes was taking off and, and Entrepreneur on Fire and I, you know, looked at that model and I thought, that's that's pretty sweet. And pretty quickly realized, you know, that I didn't have these millionaire creating numbers to my show. And I was like, just kept plugging away because I loved it, but I was always on the lookout for sort of what is the piece that's going to actually create more sustainable, reliable income. And so many ideas came from these interviews on the show. Someone was like, you should write a book. And I was like, it's a great idea. I'm just taking all the stuff I've learned from the podcast and turn it into a book. And that book came Superconductors, which came out last year. Some of my guests were coaches. And I started looking into the, the coaching model because I had been coaching athletes. And then I started doing this blend of life coaching and business coaching. And that, you know, there a there's a ton of demand. Actually, before that people are asking about podcasting. So I think I helped like 60 or 70 people launch podcasts. So I would do these, these little groups in my living room. We would meet up every week and, and practice our podcasting skills and, you know, figure out names for shows and vote yes or no. Like I like this cover art or I don't like this. And so that was really fun, very hands-on. And then that sort of evolved into broader business coaching. And so I've continued to add little bits. So, so I lead adventure trips randomly, I this is kind of a long story, but to summarize it, I encountered a thousand year old magic tree in deep in the heart of the jungles of Bali. And it basically gave me a mission, which is to take people out into the wilderness to reconnect with nature. So I started leading adventure trips into nature and that became part of the business. So it's, it's just been what a lot year of was
0: that Derek. And was that the first was, thing uh, that you started or did the podcast groups kind of come out at the same time?
1: Yeah. So it was podcast, like right when I met you, it was kind of mm-hmm. the podcast was starting and then then the podcast groups and then the coaching and then the adventure trips and sort of the book was like the third third thing in there. So there's five or six things. And then a mutual friend of ours who was there at the same time when I met you, Jasper Rivers, he he has the, the whole Airbnb, get paid for your pad thing. And I was like, that's a good idea. So I added that in. So now we have you know all these seven different income streams, which are still running essentially.
0: That's awesome. Seven different income streams. I mean, because at one point I had nine and then I've reduced them right down. But I really love the idea of just having multiple revenue streams for a couple of reasons, as you probably know. It just, it gives you a bit of a backup plan if one of those isn't going so well. If, for example, you got sick, like I currently am, and (laughs) your business revolves around you and you couldn't do something, you know, like if you got seriously sick. Other things is it just gives you that little bit more area to play within and some of those mix really nicely, often complementary revenue streams. And for example, the Airbnb one, which I've got as well. I mean, I really love it because it feels so separate to any business entity that I have yet. It is a significant source of income now and really, really great asset. And it just feels like one of those ones you can always play with um, and have fun with and build upon. Regardless of what's going on in your life, hopefully, so that's really cool. That's really neat. And so, how long have you been in business now with this portfolio career of yours, as I'd like to kind of call it?
1: Yeah, it's it's five years, and this is. I was I was a cyclist, a professional cyclist for about five years. I was a, an academic researcher in microbiology, a virologist for. So three years corporate and three years in grad school. And so now this is sort of my Mm. third career. And so pretty soon, this will be the longest thing I've ever done, which is kind of exciting. It's uncharted territory for me.
0: Yeah, I remember when, um, because I had eight years in the corporate world and that felt long. And then I remember when I surpassed that with being an entrepreneur and I was like, man, this is, okay, this is actually real now. Isn't that funny? Like been earning a really great income for all those years of the business, but not ever fully recognizing or maybe, admitting to myself that this was the thing it's funny how you do that and I think we'll go through many more career phases especially when we talk a little bit more about the future of work which is really kind of happening right now and just how common that's going to be to be as you mentioned right at the beginning you always wanted to learn and to be a lifelong learner is going to keep both of us and and everybody who's listening in such good stead if you can continue to learn and upskill and expand your mind and expand your horizons and really understand where the need is going to be for you and your experience, and your skills, and what else you need to add, which strings to your bow, really, to remain relevant and be able to thrive. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Because um, I know you're also pretty involved in this area, and, and very intrigued by it, and uh, we could maybe just riff on what we sort of see is happening in the next couple of years, because it's really, really important, and it's going to be very interesting to see where careers go, and how people hold up in this space.
1: Yeah. You know, every time I listen to a a futurism podcast or something, and someone's talking about artificial intelligence or synthetic biology or something, you know, and they're like, here, here are all the issues, you know, it could end humanity. It could uh, replace all jobs, you know, all these things. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like we are not prepared. There's no way we're going to be prepared for all the changes that are happening. And so I think pretty much everybody, including us is going to feel off balance is going to feel uncomfortable and, and not know exactly what we should do I mean already it's like how much time should I be spending on social media like is it affecting my brain I don't know all these things <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so from the standpoint of we're going to need to be resilient we're going to need to be adaptable we're going to need to be able to flow with the changes and you know maintain some sense of ourselves it's it seems really important to double down on these traits, these skills that are innately human, like the the ability to connect and and listen and tell stories and build relationships and all of these things that have been important are going to be even more important when when a robot and and a computer can do a lot of your normal tasks. Hundred percent. Yeah, and, and so you know, I just think like for each person, just looking ahead and knowing that's coming. Just getting ready to be adaptable and and come back to learning and think about the skills because you may have to reinvent yourself a few times even.
0: Mm. but I think it's exciting I just saw an Ernst and Young report today that was called stop calling it the future of work and I was like mm, I don't agree with that like in some ways the future of work is already happening and we've seen that there are already jobs that are being replaced completely by automation by robots etc but there are so many people who are just on the precipice of not even really understanding or knowing about it and there are many people who are not thinking even forward yet around this, especially businesses and companies. Some are, but most are not prepared for the future and most people are not future-proofing themselves. So I think it's a little bit Cheeky to say, stop calling it that. It's a little bit like when you and I were full time digital nomads and we were listening and talking to digital nomads all the time and everybody was using the word. And then you'd go outside that little bubble of the world we lived in and people would be like, What's a digital nomad? And then you realize in that moment, yes, in the world that we live in, because we're talking and living and breathing about it all the time, it's very relevant to us. But people who are just catching on, it's not. And I feel that's the state we're at with the future of work. Some people have been working in this field for ages. I was thinking about the other day for as long as I've been in business, I've essentially been operating in the future of work, remote teams. Virtual working, online tools, cloud based, you know, virtual workforce, outsourcing, all these things are part of the future of work. And we've been operating in that space for ages, but for some people, they are literally scared as heck about it and they're not used to it. We had a Zoom call last night for a skiing mentoring trip that Josh and I are about to go on, really excited. And the guy was a teacher. He'd taken ski trips around the world with students to build up their leadership and confidence skills, and yet he hadn't used Zoom ever he's like oh this is my first time on zoom it's a bit weird and i was like wow there's still people who haven't used zoom which was just such a you know silly thought from my end but it just shows you that these things might look like they're already here and the more immersed you are in them the more you know about them but for some people they're just coming around to it
1: and i think what's really interesting there is that even if he had already used zoom there would have been a first time for him at some point, like there's the first time we use zoom and there's, you know, we have to learn new platforms or technology or what the current trend is. And so over and over again, we're going to be beginners as we progress, probably more so than ever before. So, you know, that experience of like, okay, this is my first time, you know, whatever, doing a live stream for my phone. This is my first time, you know, all these things. Sometimes in a Facebook group, people have have never done a video and they go and introduce themselves and they're like, is this thing on, you know? And uh, (laughs) (laughs) but so that feeling of being a beginner, something we have to get used to. And a lot of people can, can Mm. be off balance when they're beginners, because it's kind of clunky. If it's, you know, if it's like learning a sport, right? Your body doesn't move the way you want it to yet. But if it's if it's learning some sort of technology, you can just feel dumb. And if you let that get tied up in with your ego and, and all of these things, if then then you might want to just avoid it entirely because it makes you uncomfortable. And so I think if you can, you know, they talk about being comfortable, getting uncomfortable. But but I think that's a lot of times tied to this this willingness to not be an expert, um, but place yourself back at the beginner, even when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, et cetera, which can be hard to do if you have to defend like the fact that you're good at stuff with yeah, your
0: ego. So. 100%. That's why I love calling it a leading learner. And I was um, talking to a couple of clients at Inspire Group the other day who do online learning, right? And talking about, hey, maybe we could be seeing these people as leading learners rather than experts and just really adopting that stance of, okay, I'm not the expert here. I've learned a little, I'm now wanting to teach that. I'm going to keep improving. I'm going to keep, you know, advancing and I'm going to keep leading you as I go, but I'm not the expert. I don't have all the answers. This is new to me too. And I think it's, as you just said, I really love that idea of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, with new technology, with new tools, because this ain't going anywhere and it's going to come at us faster than ever. We're going to have to adapt more quickly than ever. And for people who just aren't prepared to do that, they're going to be left sitting in the dust, which is a scary thing. And I guess the options for them are go and buy a lifestyle property and go off the grid and live a really, really simple life. Like quite honestly, I'm thinking there's two juxtapositions: <laughs> There's off the grid and super simple life and maybe a community or commune. And then there's the fully immerse yourself in this integration of humans and technology together and view it as something that is, you know, on the whole, hopefully going to improve our lives, but don't be so scared by it or put off by it that you think you're not
1: capable of being part of it. I just heard about some gymnasts, you know, some of the Olympic gymnasts started posting pictures of, I think it was like hashtag gymnastics fails or something like that, of them trying these moves and and failing. And it, it was really popular because I we really like to see that process of other people being beginners. And then we'd love to see them write, win the gold medal. Like if you can see them fail and learn and grow and then win the gold medal, that's even better than just seeing them win the gold medal. Mm. Because we like to support people learning and trying. You know, when my kids are learning to walk, like it's like, you can do it. You can take it. A- oh, you fell. Oh, okay. Like, let's try again, you know? Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and I'm taking a group through the Teachable 90 Day Challenge right now. So I'm coaching them and holding them accountable, and and going along with the ride with them. And it's fascinating how many of them, and I've been here myself, have gotten to a state of overwhelm. They have been learning and learning and learning, and taking everything in, and now they're in the state of paralysis by analysis because they have learned, but not necessarily applied. And so I challenged them yesterday to put all that away, like it's in here already. You've learned it, but you haven't applied it. That's why it's getting scary. Put it all away and just start doing. And don't worry about the technology. And if you have a little hump, it's okay. Just figure your way out around it because you have to be willing to learn and to be going back to basics and I think the thing that they were scared of or shying away from was not knowing what they didn't know and it's not a nice place to be every so often I'm in that place for sure and I'm like oh this is painful because I feel like I should know this and I don't and I could outsource it or I could hire somebody but I really want to learn it to understand it but when you're pretty damn good at a bunch of things and then you have to learn something from scratch it's really humbling. And it's much like when you are a skier, which I am, and you switch to snowboarding for a day and you feel like a complete <laughs> idiot. You're like, but I'm such a good skier. Oh, I think I'm a good skier. And now I can't even stand up on this board and I'm falling over. So I think it is a place absolutely you nailed it where we need to put ourselves more often and get comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning. I'd love to switch now a little bit into your pro cycling career because obviously training for a half Ironman here at one, I'd love some tips because you're a Master cyclist, and I know you did tons in Portugal. I was checking out your times, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You've still got it, Derek. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also know that through a few conversations we've had, so much of that for you has been around this mindset and an athlete's mindset and a professional mindset that you teach your clients and your coaching clients. And that's, I think, stood you really, really well throughout your business um, that discipline, that focus. And I just love if you wanted to riff with me a little on how important that's been for you. And more importantly, how you first developed that competitive, but also pro mindset, because it it does take time and it's not just something that you are given. Um, how do you think you kind of got to a place where it was a really powerful tool for you?
1: So I'm actually not a gifted athlete, which then I had to lean on all the other tricks and strategies, things that I could to sort of bring myself up to a competitive level. And Luckily, cycling is a place where you can use strategy. Generally, if, it, if you're running a marathon, for example, the fastest is probably going to win. But in cycling, there's all kinds of different things. Because the the peloton is riding together and there's drafting and you know there's different terrain and rider body weights and muscle types, all these things, you can, even if you're not the best athlete, you can win sometimes, which... As I started digging deeper into that, it's like playing 180 games of chess at the same time while you can hardly see because you're breathing so hard. That's sort of what I equate bike racing to. it so sounds challenging, by the way. <laughs> it's really challenging. But if you can maintain a state of awareness while you're in there, you have a huge advantage. So I started deconstructing all these little bits of what I could do to go against the guys that were just natural beasts. Yeah, so I have I have a actually a, a list here. I could pull some of these out and talk about. Yeah, it.
0: yeah, let's do that. It'd be great.
1: So actually, maybe maybe the first one is um, you know because we were talking about getting into action and and the people that you're coaching uh, with this analysis paralysis and really sports and and everything uh, they're, they're games and they start from a place of wanting to play around and that in and of itself is like just this human pursuit of joyfulness. And so if you can come back to that place, like if you if you get bogged down into all the, the training or all the work you're supposed to be doing or, or not knowing where you're going to be because it's such a big road, just go have some fun. You know, just come back to a place where you're just doing something fun and that will get you into action so much better. You know, athletes have reinvigorated their careers just by going back to what got them into it in the first place and entrepreneurs and in any career, like if you could just come back to the things that you enjoyed when you were starting, that can reignite things. And if you can't find the joy, and if maybe, you, maybe if you never had the joy, maybe you just happened to be really good at a career and everyone was like, you should do this. And you're like, okay, I guess I can make a lot of money, but I don't really want to, but I don't know what else I should do. If you can't find the joy and you never have, that's an important signal too, just to take a look at if you really should be doing the thing. Mm. And so I think starting with finding the joy is going to get you into action probably easier than anything else.
0: Yeah. And if it's not in the whole thing, I'll try and make more sense than what I just did, but you don't have to find joy across the whole project or across the whole area that you think you really love. You just have to find joy in the snippets, I think, because the reason I want to make that differentiation is a lot of the things that I've come to love and be really good at and find joy in, I didn't just start out with that joy. And it's a little bit like that follow your passion thing. A lot of people like, but shouldn't passion just hit me in the face and be there? And no, it comes through, I think, repeatedly doing something and then realizing you're quite enjoying it. And then someday you're like, oh, you're really enjoying it. And then before you know it, you absolutely love it. So just being mindful of that. And I think what you're sort of talking to here is as well as if you're doing something because you're good at it, but you no longer have the joy of passion or you never had it, that's something to really note. And then looking around at what are some of the things on the periphery or things that you do do that you have come to love. Is that just clarifying? Yeah, absolutely. I
1: totally agree with passion develops. You know, as your skill level increases, as your ability to get to choose what projects you're working on, you know, your value as your value and the marketplace goes up. You get to pick what you're doing, so you have more control, and and that feels good. So this this passion sort of builds from many different angles. But what I'm thinking in particular of, like for myself, if I'm working on a business project and it's frustrating me, or I just don't seem to be getting it, or it's not fun. Then I'll just play around. I'll like try some new marketing thing. I will, you know, just do like a like a burst of Instagram stories, or I'll. Pretend to write in a style of some historic figure and you know, just like shake things up Mm -hmm. um, because I can just sort of goof around and, and see what happens. And this brings me to another point in the sort of lessons we can take from athletes, which is you know, to be a self experimenter. And that is not only in you know, athletes like, how does this food help me, or how does this sleep, or you know, does wearing compression socks really work? All these things you can test on yourself, but also in business, you know, does it work if I just try to grow the business by just chatting with people that I meet in the supermarket, you know, or does it work if I only go through Facebook groups this time? And so you're just like continuing to experiment and then you and then you assess what's working and what's not working and what you want to keep and what's what's fun, what's bringing in money, all these things. So you're continually experimenting and If you find something that works really well then you can compare it with another thing that works well and then right this is all the whole split Mm -hmm. testing but take take split testing to your whole life you know like compare Mm -hmm. two variables in anything and see what happens so self-experimentation
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, just remaining curious with that childlike sort of sense of wonder, like why is this the way it is and how can I change it and what if I tried this? I really like your idea of just playing around with different things that you're normally used to doing and just mixing it up a bit. I think it's good, it keeps it fresh and often it reignites your joy in something because you've taken a fresh approach and reframed which is often all you need rather than throwing the bathwater out with the baby. Why do we have these weird ass sayings? Like I know that that one came from way back in the time where actually they did use to throw the bathwater out the window, et cetera. But yeah, I don't know why I'm using these. I, mean, I need some of work sayings <laughs> that are future focused.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, none are coming to me right now. But like I'm don't sure disconnect can the
0: robot's ones. wiring. So I don't know, we, we can probably come up with something that's actually good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. cool no, those are really really important so um, exploration and also just yeah finding the joy in things and doing the sort of split testing a b analysis of what's working what's not and then how do i do more of what's working i do like applying that to life i do that in my triathlon training in my sleep in my nutrition um, in my conversations with friends and how i approach like even just traveling, so yeah, I really like applying some of these principles that we think are just for business or just for this to our actual life and these frameworks within which we can operate better.
1: And so the next one that's, that's coming to mind is actually as you're experimenting, athletes, you know, they're always looking for the next level. They're they're breaking through plateaus. They're continuing this progression, right? And and so even when you're the best in the world, even if you've won the gold medal, there's potential for you to improve. And this can be applied to any skill or area of life. Even, you know, I do this in my marriage. I'm continuing to look at like, what does the progression look like? You know, what does a 1% improvement in vulnerability look like? 1% improvement in listening or clarity in my communication. And these are more subtle things than, you know, it's it's easy to measure a skill. Like in basketball, you can measure how many times a person hits the free throw. But it's harder to measure exactly what your skill in listening or how well you use your intuition or these things. So you have to sort of make up the progression and and maybe you have a coach, maybe you do some reading, maybe you get some experts that can sort of tell you like, here is the progression, or maybe you deconstruct the career of someone who's ahead of you or whatever, however you need to go and find out what the progression is. And then you can sort of develop, you know, in in training where there's like a stimulus and then we recover and then we get fitter, you know, you do a workout and then you respond. But if you want to take that into another realm what is the input that's going to sort of raise your your fitness one level so it might mean like actually intentionally sitting down with your wife like i'm doing this and talking about things that you might be uncomfortable with and even if you're triggered you know not just leaving the conversation and so so i'm just constantly like putting myself into situations where i believe that i'll have like a slight step of progression along this path of whatever it is
0: Which is so awesome to hear. What sort of attitude do you think one needs to do that? Because I think a lot of us have probably done little bits of this at points in our life when we feel motivated or we're doing it. But how do you think people consistently turn up wanting to improve that 1%? You know, like I look at a Tony Robbins for all the people who love or hate him. I mean, that's 50 plus years of being at the top of his game and constantly working on improvement. And that requires a heck of a lot of self-discipline and internal focus and desire and alignment and all the things that he teaches. But I see it in other people and athletes who are true to their sport for decades and business owners who just work the long game and are focused and 25 years later, they've still got the same business and it's still doing well. What do you think that ingredient is? Or do you think it's a combination of things that make somebody just continue to do that?
1: Well, let's look at it this way. Did you smoke a cigarette today? No, I do not smoke. No. So your identity is that of a non-smoker. And so someone who has smoked a cigarette today, they have the identity of a smoker. And so what you do is falls perfectly in line with your identity. So if you have the identity of someone who seeks progression and mastery over the long run, then these things aren't going to be That hard. They're not going to take a lot of willpower. It's just going to be part of what you're doing. And so it kind of flows from who you be your identity, but that identity in turn gets shaped by your experience of the results. Mm -hmm. So I think, for example, I've taken on this identity because I've seen myself improve in sports. I've seen myself improve in chess. I've seen myself improve in languages by putting in consistent effort over time that sort of proof is like, Oh, I'm the type of person that does this. Therefore I'm going to keep doing this. So it's a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You can come at it from either side.
0: Yeah. I love that. Before we jumped on this call, I was telling you about David Goggins book. Can't hurt me, which I've just finished reading and you've just come across him. And He would be the first to say that he came from the sewers, not literally, but he did come from a pretty shit upbringing and managed to get himself being an ultra runner and a Navy SEAL. And I think a lot of the reason he did that was one, running away from shitsville, but also taking a good hard look in the mirror at a point when he was really, really down and out. And he calls it the truth mirror, I think. And just looking at that and going... You don't need to be this person. You've taken on this identity because it's all you've ever known, but you have the absolute ability to become whoever you want to be, which is pretty tough to see when you're down and out. But I think in some of those moments, if you've absolutely hit rock bottom, those are some of your best moments of clarity when you get to say to yourself, how do I want to show up today and who do I want to be? It's not as a result of my past. It's not as a result of my future in the very present right now. So just for those of you listening out there who like, Hey, I've never been like that. I've never been disciplined. I've always been a smoker. What I loved and why I mentioned David Goggins is, there's a lot of people who've read his book who have completely changed their life because they've seen in him, this guy who had nothing really at all to grow on and yet has done majorly well in a sense of the word of self-accomplishment, not majorly well across everything, just really, really made himself the best version of him. And I was reading somebody who'd listened to a podcast with him saying, I was drinking, I was smoking, I wasn't exercising, I read your book, I started training every day with you in my ear, I now don't smoke, I don't drink, my life is completely different, I've taken up marathons and I just needed to basically do it and adopt that attitude that I could do it. So sometimes it is just as simple as calling yourself out standing in the truth mirror saying these are the excuses I always say this is my new direction and just going with it and then holding yourself to it and for those of you who aren't good at that accountability getting an accountability buddy which is also highly possible to do I don't know if you have them Derek I think we you know if you really do want to do stuff and you know you'll let yourself down in areas find somebody who's not going to let you slack on that and hold you to a better standard
1: actually I just i just. On the drive home from a race yesterday, I set up an accountability for August, for the next month. My cycling teammate and I were both going to try a dietary self-experimentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going off gluten and sugar, and he's going off gluten and coffee for the month, and we're going to see how it affects our training and recovery. But we know it's going to be hard because we both really like to you know, eat a lot of sweets and muffins and things like that after a hard ride. So it was really cool to be like, okay, we're going to do this. Like, you're going to do it? Yeah. All right. I'm going to do it. Like, Okay. It's like, jump into this icy cold water of, you know, yeah, super, (laughs) super helpful.
0: (laughs) Nice. And one more way I think that people can do it, which I'm sure, again, you've read Todd Herman's book on alter ego is when you don't feel you can find it in yourself, you make up a sort of a superhero version of you that you get to step into their identity when you're lacking or not feeling great. You're going to go on stage, if you're going to go in a cycle race and you're feeling like a bit of a, a Muppet, you go, no, 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 today I'm going to be Lance Armstrong or whoever you want to be. And that really works too. I've used that a lot in sports and have started using it more in the business realm. Would love to know what your thoughts are on, on developing an alter ego with the sole provision of helping you step into your best self or peak performance when you don't feel you have it there in yourself at the moment.
1: Yeah. So actually I made up this exercise that I do with clients a lot before before the Alta Ego book came out. So I was really pleased to see that he was uh following he you was <laughs> doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's been doing it a lot longer, but um the exercise is actually if you look around and find all your heroes, you find your your the movie stars you like, the sports stars you like, you know, maybe not politicians, but just like all the characters, you know, friends and family, whoever you really look up to. And and it can be in different areas. And then what are their specific traits that you are really admiring that you would love to take on? And it's not, you know, it's not that I want to be Brad Pitt, but he he's really dialed his physique and his acting down. Right. So there's a couple of things that I would love to just steal from like a bunch of different people, but there's something in me. That's already, I already have that as well. I've already, I've already cultivated that and I'm already working on that. And so, that's the reason why I like these things in other people. So they're just reflecting back these little pieces that I already have. And so that's what I really love is that seeing these heroes that we have, they're just reflecting these little heroic pieces of ourself. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can sort of like mix and match and blend this this entire identity based on based on people out there, but that's that's just showing you what you already have inside. And then you can just pull that out when you need it because it, it kind of just proves that you already have it within you.
0: I love that. I love that. That's really cool. And and I know that Todd sort of talks a little bit about that in this book, but in a slightly different way, I think, you know, often when you're jealous of somebody, that's because the thing that they have or are enacting or behaving in is what you want. But I really like what you're saying, which is it's already within you. And it's triggering something in you that you're maybe not using it to your fullest potential or you haven't capitalized on it yet or you need to act on it more. So, yeah, I really, really love that. That is excellent advice and a great way for people to hopefully go forward and feel a bit more inspired and know what is within them um, potential wise. So I didn't realize that we've been talking for so long. So I think it'd be we can definitely jam again. I would love for folks who are listening to know what you've got on the horizon because as I mentioned before, you're a prolific content creator because you're always deep thinking and learning. And I know that you are writing another book.
1: Yes. And thank you, like you for supporting that project.
0: <laughs> oh um, yeah, I did too. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Publishers. Authors have got to support co yeah. authors with good ideas.
1: Yeah. This is a leadership book and, in the vein of people like Cal Newport, where they write a book that they need for themselves. This is sort of a book that I need for myself and, and a lot of my friends, which is how leaders develop through these sort of unconventional life paths, like digital nomads that that grow into world-changing leaders or people that, you know, go to a festival like Burning Man and it changes their perception of reality or or they go do psychedelics in the Amazon for a month or something like that, you know, it doesn't make everyone into leader, but the people that go through these experiences and become leaders, I want to know about that. You know, I'm collecting these stories and I want to know about that process of transformation, about becoming a leader, because not only do you have to become a leader, but then you actually have to, to use that and go on to, to build something and, and use your powers of leadership for good. So that's the place where I'm at in, in my own life. You know, I've been traveling for the last five years and, and we're starting to slow down. and in the hero's journey, in in um, you know, there's that phase when you come back from the adventure with the treasure, and you're supposed to share what you've learned with with your tribe or, or with the rest of the world. And so that's sort of the phase that I that I'm in my personal cycle right now is is to try to share more of what I've learned. And so this book is, yeah, I think it's going to be really fun and it's really going to be helpful for me to sort of get some clarity around how I can use, you know, how do you use world travel for five years and experiencing all these cultures? Like, what does that make you as a leader and how it's different than than a traditional leadership development mm-hmm. path?
0: Mm, I love that. So does that mean this is also a great excuse for you to try psychedelic drugs, head off to Burning Man, do all those things? Is there a little bit of that in there as well?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about designing your life, you think, how can I get paid to go to Burning Man or to do all these, you know, so you try to, you try to build that in there.
0: Smart, smart. I love it. Perfect. Well, I look forward to that um, coming out and we'll link to that in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at com forward slash zero two nine. Derek, anything that you'd love to leave the listeners with in terms of advice for untapping their potential just to put you on the spot
1: yeah i think one thing actually so our mutual friend nick Wood, we were roommates for a while as we were leaving the house a lot of days he would say you know whether we were going to a party or going to do a yoga class or whatever he would say what is a win and it was kind of hard to say like sometimes when you're going to a party like how do you win at going to a party but it made you think you know, partly it's about setting an intention, you know, like, why, why am I even going to this party? Do I just want to have fun? Okay, great. Then, I, then that's a win if I can have some fun. But if you can define your parameters, like when you're doing a sport, like you know how to win. So you're operating within some constraints. So you can focus your decision making, your strategy, whatever, within some sort of constraints. So if you can define for yourself, you know, on a daily basis or within an activity, Like why, you know, why, why are we going to sit down to do this podcast? Let's, let's have like, what's a win if we're going to do this? Or what's a win if I'm going to hang out with my kids later? Like my objective might be to be present and just enjoy it. So if you can set some parameters, define what a win is, or, or know the rules that you're playing each time you do something. And as you transition from doing one thing to the next, you can, you can check in with yourself. What is, what is, is it to win in this next situation, then you'll be able to achieve a win. But if you have no idea what you're playing for, if you don't know the rules, if you don't know the parameters, then it makes it much harder to actually get the thing you want. So if you can just continue to clarify for yourself those the rules of the game.
0: Mm, I love it. It's a really great question. Whatever question it is that just really gets to you to be more intentional when you go to anything. And much like you're doing in your life and with your marriage, I just think it's really neat to always be just questioning, how can I make this better? How can I win at this? And not in the win at life, but you know, really, how can I make this a win-win? And uh, what do I want to get out of this? What do I want to learn? What am I going to teach? Just always thinking really intentionally about showing up so thank you so much for bringing that to this podcast and it's been great catching up with you and I'm sure we will have you back on to see how the adventure is going and what unfolds in terms of transformational leadership
1: thanks for having me Natalie it's been fun